You are listening to Season 2 of The Stories of Creative Leadership, a series about creating the conditions for innovation and creative thinking. This series will showcase creative leaders who will inspire you to become better stewards of your most important asset, employee creativity. And now, here are your hosts, Todd Schneck and Tony Vengrove. Good morning, and welcome back to Season 2 of the Stories of Creative Leadership. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Tony Vengrove. Tony, hello to you, sir, and wow, am I looking forward to Season 2. Likewise, it's good to hear you again, and boy, we have a great season lined up for everybody. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Uh, if Season 2 is anything like Season 1, then we're uh, in for a treat, as is our audience. So if you were with us for Season 1, then you're well aware of the import of creative leadership. But Tony, uh, inform the audience that may be new listening to this series about why creative leadership is so important. Sure, Todd. Well, as you know, I kind of exited out of corporate innovation myself, realizing that there was a big void in the academic and practitioner literature around innovation and leading innovation. And that is uh, specifically around the softer skills that are really necessary to lead innovation and foster a creative climate in a corporate setting. So in season one, we talked about the seven C's of creative leadership, which were seven C's ranging from communication, curiosity, courage, that we're all around creating a conversation about what leaders can do on a day-to-day basis to really create the conditions for others to be creative and innovative in an organization. And, you know, perhaps my favorite quote from Warren Bennis that really brings creative leadership to life is this one. He said, there are two ways of being creative. One can sing and dance, or one can create an environment in which singers and dancers can flourish. So in season two, what we're going to do is we're going to invite another great lineup of guests to come share their stories from the front lines, what they're doing day in, day out to drive innovation in their organization, and what they do to foster a creative culture. All right. Well, let's get right to it. So, Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about today's guest and why he is next up in the series? Well, I had the pleasure of meeting Mark Fernandez when I lived and worked down in Richmond, Virginia. Mark is the chief leadership officer at Luck Companies. They're located down in the same neck of the woods. And as we know, Mark is a very compelling leadership figure, and he's really on the rise and on the leadership scene. In fact, he was just listed on Inc.'s 100 Great Leadership Speaker list that was just recently published. He's a great guy, and I think the audience is really going to love to hear his insights. Luck Companies is an aggregates company, and as Mark told us, that's a fancy way of saying they're the modern Flintstones. They basically uh, are a quarry business, and they crush rocks. And a few years ago, they ran into some challenging times, and it was really the owner's commitment to becoming a values-based company that reset the trajectory and not only put the company back on a path of growth, but unleashed a whole bunch of innovation and creativity in the organization, expanded their business into new markets, and, uh, oh, by the way, unleashed a whole bunch of new or enhanced employee engagement up and down the line. It's a fabulous story. 
Well, I think the audience is going to absolutely adore this this gentleman. I mean, talk about a genuine guy. There's a lot of guys that talk about values-based leadership. It's a different matter to actually really believe it down to his core, and he clearly does, and, and it really struck me when we talked to him. And Tony, when, when talking about executing values-based leadership, what I really liked him saying was the idea of you have to be on this values journey. I've never thought of it that way before. And he made it clear it's going to be hard, it will change and evolve, and it will never end. And as he said, it will require constant vigilance and Intention and purpose. Absolutely. And we spoke during that part of the conversation, and he acknowledged that in some ways, determining what the values are that you're going to put stakes in the ground is almost the easy part. It's the next day when you have to start living those values and begin the journey that the real challenge begins. You know, the other thing that I really walked away that I found fascinating was when Mark shared the values of luck companies with us, and he noted that one of the values for this aggregates company was creativity. And we had a really interesting conversation about what it was like for this management team to address the company that's used to just, you know, <laughs> detonating TNT in the quarry to talk about creativity being a value. So I think the key takeaway for the audience to listen for is if this aggregates company can be become a more creative company, anybody can become a more creative company. Yeah, Tony, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm sure you've had this conversation with a lot of people who said, yeah, I I get what you're saying, but it doesn't really apply to my organization. We do things a little bit differently. Uh, the key learning here is an organization that crushes rocks can be innovative and creative. That is critical, and that's that's really, really important from the conversation we had with them. And it's going to require change, right? I mean, the other thing that I found really striking with our conversation is that when you talked about making impactful change to your culture, yeah, you need a business plan, but you need a culture plan, which I found really intriguing. And he talks about how they can actually measure culture, which I found fascinating. Yeah, and I thought it was it's also interesting that he made a specific point. He made two specific points. One was that culture plan is larger than the overall business plan, which is interesting. And secondly, he said when they get the results of their engagement survey, he treats that as the most important day of the year at their organization. Yeah, well, and the numbers and the results have certainly proved that uh, we probably ought to get to the conversation. One final comment, though. I uh, was really, really struck by how powerful his conversation was around the necessity of courage. I mean, it. <laughs> I think he did a better job in, in a couple sentences of explaining courage than you and I did in season one. Yeah, well, I think we hit on a lot of the seven C's in the conversation, but I found when we talk about courage, you know, there's a lot of emotion and I think a lot of poignant moments where everybody kind of opens up about the fear and the risk-taking that's involved around creative and innovative endeavors. I think recalling back to Ivy Ross in season one, she said, no, Nothing great can happen without courage. And Mark took a very similar approach to that principle. All right. Well, let's get to it then. So that's it from Tony and Todd. We have to take a quick break, but up next, enjoy our conversation with Mark Fernandez of Luck Companies. We'll be right back. This program is brought to you by Miles Finch Innovation, LLC, a creative consultancy that is passionate about ideas, imagination, and facilitating a culture of innovation. Miles Finch Innovation helps companies navigate the messy territory of corporate innovation. They're strategic thinking partners who can help you get unstuck and identify creative solutions to your toughest challenges. They also love to train and speak on the subject of creative leadership. Learn more about how they can help you at milesfinchinnovation.com. Miles Finch Innovation, idea-centric, strategically driven, humanly conscious.
All right, Todd and Tony back with you. And as promised, we're now joined by Mark Fernandez, the Chief Leadership Officer with Luck Companies. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Todd. Tony, it's great to be here. Good to have you. Thanks for carving out some very valuable time to join us. Tony and I are very much looking forward to this conversation. Before we get into it, however, do take a quick second, inform us a bit about you and your background, and then tell us a bit about Luck Companies. Sure. I actually just celebrated, it's hard to believe, my 25th year here. So I joined the company in 1989. Previously, I was a bouncer and a stonemason. So I have an interesting background, but it certainly made sense to try and get into a company that fit with me and a stone company it was. And over the course of the years, you know, Todd, I went from being an inside sales and then I ran a division and then I became president of multiple divisions. And in the last six years, I believe, I took on this role of chief leadership officer. The role is an interesting one and it's it has a an inside-outside set of responsibilities. We have a model that we'll talk about today called values-based leadership. That model is the activator of our company mission, which is to ignite human potential through values-based leadership and positively impact lives around the world. So there's a team of us that really do two things. We are constantly evolving the model, which is, I, you know, it's an ideology, it's a philosophy, and then it's also a very specific set of processes, models, tools, rituals, and programs that we bring to life every day inside the company. So we're constantly evolving the model, working inside with our 850, 900 associates, because we believe leadership is a choice, not a title. And then we turn around and we share it with the world as part of our mission. So that's the inside-outside responsibility. And uh, that's what we do, and that's, that's what I do. Well, that's great, Mark. And again, welcome to the show and congratulations on your 25-year milestone. That's uh, fantastic. Hey, Todd, I've had the privilege of getting to know Mark. I've known him for a few years now during my time in Richmond, Virginia. And the story of the transformation of luck companies is a really intriguing one. And so, Mark, as we kick this off, can you just share with the audience, just tell a little bit about who Luck Companies is. I'm not sure everybody knows that they're you know, a successful aggregates company, but just tell a little bit about the company and the transformation, where it was, and let's set the stage for how values-based leadership completely transformed this organization. Okay, Tony. You know, the short version, we are almost a 92-year-old family-owned, family-run We call ourselves construction materials company, but predominantly the majority of what we do is aggregates. And we do it for the most part in the state of Virginia. And then we spread a little bit in our businesses in the mid-Atlantic. When you look at us, we're in our third generation. And the company was founded by Charles Luck Jr. in 1923 as a 25-year-old entrepreneur with six guys and a single quarry. And what was fascinating, Tony, and kind of what sets the stage for all of this is back during that time where, you know, we were in the heart of the command and control era of leadership, right? The leadership Mm -hmm. manual was one sentence. Do what I say, find a way to like it, right? (laughs) Right. Um, And yet he, his philosophy was, if I do right by my people, they will do right by me. So think about that, right? Back in the 20s, that's quite different. Mm -hmm. And... The beautiful thing about family-owned businesses is family values will typically pass generation to generation. And his values passed to his son, Charles Luck III, who took over the company in 1955. 
and coined the phrase and tagline, we care. So this love affair that we had with our six associates in 1923 continued forward, right? And Charles plastered we care on our trucks, on our signs. And he himself, you know, when I started the company, he was still president and CEO. And he knew everybody, Tony. He twice a year had come around, he'd shake your hand. What was interesting is he'd ask you one question. He'd, ask, he'd say, how's your family, right? <laughs> and so we had this high affiliative DNA about us, relationship, caring. His son, Charles IV, my boss, took over in 1995. And, you know, I wasn't kidding, right? I, I did go to NC State. I went for an extended period of time when I wasn't a great student. Charlie, you know, he went to VMI and then he became a NASCAR driver for a while. So you've got this NASCAR driver, you've got this kind of bouncer old jock guy running the company in 1995 and we decide we're going to get all Harvard smart and grow the company. That was probably our first mistake of many. The rest of the story is we grew like crazy. Four or five years, we went from 300 associates to almost 1,300 sales up. 400% 400% cash flow, 900%. So the money was piling up, but the only thing that piled up higher was the dysfunction. And that was the point that all of this started. And looking back on it now, what we realize is that, you know, we sort of outgrew the handshake and this, this culture, how things get done around here started splintering as we were just hiring and hiring without any good HR process, without any good thought. And, you know, the culture took over mm. and we got uh, quite messy. And in 2003, we started our values journey. And the first message to us as the officer group was for anything to change around here, right? We, the leaders, had to go first. That was how the values journey started. And we have been at it. We're actually in what we call values-based leadership 3.0 at this point. But we had a second big step function in the work in 2009. And here we are today. And what we've really done is just, if I was to sum it up, is to kind of take this, you know, love affair with our associates, this obsession about them, and figure out a way to make sure and keep that alive in a much bigger company through this model called values-based leadership. Wow, there's so much to uh, unwrap there. Mark, you know, it's, it's interesting. The first question I, I want to follow up with is that tagline, we care, that was in existence, you know, prior the more recent part of, of luck companies here. I'm just curious, was that still on the walls on the side of the truck as you guys were growing and this dysfunction started to take place? Was that still there or was that had the company moved on to another kind of uh, kind of mantra? <laughs> Gosh, you're making me think back, Tony. It's a, such a great question. What I would say is it was still there, but the company moved on. How about that? Yeah, so well, that's I, why I, I, I was kind of curious because it, it, you know, it sounded like one of those instances where a company had their values up on the wall, but every employee said, you know, we don't, we're not walking the talk. So everybody kind of knew it, but it took a while for leadership to kind of yeah. wake up and say, hey, we got to actually start walking the talk again. It really did. And so it's so interesting that you ask that because that's what we talk about now is to make sure that it's not just words on the wall. And I believe that's what it became. Wow. So as the leadership team committed to values-based leadership, can you talk a little bit more about how you determined what the company values were and how did you guys as a team get on the same page about how you were going to start demonstrating these values so they filtered through the rest of the organization? 
Another great question. I mean, was that difficult? So, Did it take uh, time? It, it was difficult and it took 18 months. We basically, you know, we stayed behind closed doors every quarter, two or three days per quarter. And we recognized that two things needed to happen. One was that we really needed to think about what this company truly valued, how we could get it down on paper, right? Institutionalize it and then operationalize it. But along a, a really critical part of that, and we have this sort of path forward on how you build a values-based company, and we call it, right, addressing the leaders in place. So while we were developing values, and equally as important, the attitude, action, and behavior that were evidence of each of our four values, we also went to work on understanding each of ourselves better. There was 13, 14 officers at the time. Because then what we had to do, Tony, was look at ourselves in the mirror and go, how well is my attitude, action, behavior aligned with what we say we want in the company? Because that in and of itself is the number one way you're going to change the culture is by the leaders modeling the way. Classic Kuzis and Posner, right? People right. are professional boss watchers. The culture will be a shadow of the leaders, so during the 18 months, it was get really tight on what those values are and how could each of us do a better job walking in alignment with them. So when we emerged, it was funny, even before we went public with them, you already started to people hear people talk about, you know, my personal story is I define, I call myself a recovering jerk, right? You can imagine what goes along with being a bouncer and, and, and athlete. And it's not a pretty picture on the human side. Mm -hmm. Well, people are already starting to notice, you know, Mark's trying to do this. It seems like he's trying to do something different here. It takes a long time. And then we went public with the values. So 18 months of work, getting them down on paper, not just the words themselves. There's four of them. But how do we define them? And then what are the attitude, action, behavior? And then how do we be sure the leaders model the way? The last piece on it, Tony, another Again, we don't give a lot of advice. We can only ask people to consider. When we thought about our values, we thought about two things. How do we preserve the core of this company, which has been so wonderful for such a long time, while also innovating for the future? So we have four values in our, at the time, integrity and commitment. That's what this company was built on. Okay. But as we look to the future, we realized we needed to really embrace two other values. One was leadership and the second creativity. So if companies are doing pretty well and they've been around for a while, you want to be careful and make sure you preserve what's good about the organization while also looking ahead. Mark, I love this idea of the values journey. And I suspect there's two journeys that you have to be mindful of. One is the organizational journey. But as you said, this does involve humans and individuals. And so there's their individual journeys as well. And the main point I want to make here, I mean, you said it took 18 months of work to determine those values. But this process, this journey never ends, right? I mean, this is this requires constant love and attention and focus because people and organizations in the business world, it's all evolving. It's all cyclical. But this is a never-ending process, right? Brilliant, Todd. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're human beings. We're not perfect beings. And there are so many, you know, life, right, gets in the way all the time, as do ego and fear and all the other things that are so interesting about human beings. I'm trying to think of the right word, but, you know, I think of words like vigilant, right, and purposeful and intentional. 
and it's day to day and it can even be interaction to interaction that you want to be so aware of who you are and how you're showing up and what you want the story of your life to be for this to really work. And then the other thing you bring up, Todd, is conditions change, right? So every five years, we look at our values. While we haven't changed the four values yet, we'll go in and we'll say, how well are these behaviors going to serve us as the future world of work evolves? And we're doing it again right now. Hmm. But it is a journey. It's right. It will go on forever. Hey, Mark, I want to ask a follow-up question. But before I ask that question, I'm not sure everybody in the audience understands what aggregates are or all the different kind of parts of the business that you guys play in. Could you just briefly summarize that before I ask my question? Sure. So the company itself has four business units, construction aggregates. Uh, think uh, for those of everyone that can remember, think Fred Flintstone, right? We call ourselves a modern-day Fred Flintstone. We make little <laughs> rocks out of big rocks. Mm-hmm. And we're really good at it. So we have quarries that we are mining aggregates, construction aggregates, and they are go into roads and buildings and bridges and asphalt and concrete. That's the soul of this company. That's what we've been doing for 92 years. We have three other businesses, Luckstone Center, and that's more of high-end stone products. Most people know granite countertops, stone house front, landscape materials. Our third business is Hard True Sports. So we acquired into the clay court tennis material business about a dozen, 15 years ago. We supplied the aggregate that went into the making of the manufactured clay surface. We eventually bought the business. We acquired the Hard True brand, and we actually distribute that product globally. And then we are in real estate, luck development companies. We are in the process of standing up a nonprofit yet to be named that we will use as our mechanism to continue to share values-based leadership with the world. So you have for-profit businesses, one nonprofit. Great. And thank you for that. Because the reason why I wanted everybody to understand that essentially, you know, you guys are the modern day Flintstones is when you unveiled those values for the first time and, you know, in challenging circumstances. And, you know, a lot of your business is, you know, basically digging up and crushing rock. How was it received when you guys stood up and said, one of our values is creativity? I mean, how did you position that? How did you demonstrate that value once you unveiled it? Because I am sure a lot of people listening right now are working in a culture where they're dying for more creativity to be expressed in their culture, and they just don't know how to make it happen. Yeah. So if we back up just a little bit, two interesting dynamics at rollout. So even though we were patient, we worked hard, we worked hard, we heard two things. One is, who the heck are you to tell me what I value? I already have values, right? Uh, Very classic. And then the second was, don't worry, this will go away. It's flavor of the month time. So, you know, you get used to that in terms of the steps of learning for any organization. Again, we understand that now. We didn't understand it then, but we were sure committed. So we had to weather the classic great change model. Creativity, Tony, our biggest stretch. And it remains, right, our biggest stretch. A couple things that we did do, you know, we were, we said, well, how? It's about helping people understand what it means in the context of what we do. Okay, because it's like, come on, guys, we get this stone out of the ground. Well, I believe we were the first aggregate operation 
to run a manless plant 24 hours at night. So we automated our plants. This was years ago where they can actually run at night when nobody's here. I think even way back in the day, we were either the first, we might have been the first to move from steam to electricity. So when you look back over the history of the company, you could actually see elements of creativity, an environment where ideas and innovation add value is how we defined it. So what we did was, number one, try to point out versus, hey, yeah, this is the future, but it's not new to us. So tie, and then anytime we saw somebody doing something that looked like it, we would tie it to the value. The second thing I would say, and this is one of those kind of do more often, avoid at all costs around creativity and innovation. You know, there's a great body of work done back in the 40s, a guy named Bowen, Bowen Systems Theory. And he actually did it around families, but then they realized it applied to organizations. And the theory is essentially this. It says an organization or a family is a system, okay? The system outputs messages. Those messages become the rules by which the system functions or becomes dysfunctional. And then what we know when we think about a system of an organization or a family that mom and dad kind of own the messages in the family, the leaders own the messages in the organization. What we realize is that in the question and what our vigilance is around, what kind of messages are we sending around our creativity value? And it's not, Tony, the most important part. It's not the covert ones that kill you. It's not the, uh, yeah, the covert ones. It's the over, the ones you don't know about, right? I don't know if I'm, I can't remember if I'm getting that backwards. Which one? <laughs> one is, <laughs> I haven't talked about this in a while, covert and overt. The, the ones that you're not thinking about are the right. ones that get you in trouble. Okay. So in other words, someone comes up to you with a new idea. What do you do? Right. Someone sends you an article about something crazy out in the world. How do you respond? Somebody wears some type of different clothing to work. What are, what messages are you sending around people thinking and trying things differently? So that's the second thing that we learned around these stretch values is, boy, watch our messages. Hmm. Mark, I'm struck by the story about how you went from a small, tight-knit, family-owned operation with the philosophy of we care, and if I do right by my people, they'll do right by me. But then you grew grew awfully fast and you lost sight of that and you had to go through this value-based leadership process to get your mojo back. So now that you've gone through that, can you share any advice and counsel to an organization and listening to this who is going through a growth phase and how they can keep attuned to their values? Growth spurts are really, really interesting. I think that they certainly represent the, the implications from a culture and a climate perspective, how things get done around here and what it feels like to work around here are very interesting. I think, Todd, one of the things is whether we're growing through M&A activity, whether organic is just pumping really well because we're riding an economic wave, what growth can have a tendency to do is have, have us lensing in really hard on the numbers, Right you'll set a lot of growth goals and a lot of them are financially oriented or non-financial yet the things that drive the numbers. And what I think a lot of us have a tendency to do is look away from the human side of the equation and not think about culture and climate. 
if you think about, Todd, when people go to buy another company, a lot of times the financial due diligence is very rigorous. But I'll ask them, did you do a culture due diligence, right? How much does the culture of that company you're buying match the culture of your organization? So one is, Todd, we have a business plan and a lot of growth is captured in our business plan, but we also have a culture plan. We have a plan for our people that is equally as big as our business plan. We have four big strategic objectives that drive this company. Two of them are human side, right? Our mission and leadership development and succession. And two of them are more on the performance side. So two are on potential, two are on performance, which is business excellence and growth. And then the very last thing is, so how do you keep your eyes wide open? And then how do you make that the same conversation versus two different conversations? So that was another thing we learned early on was be careful about talking about values and culture on over here and then business excellence and growth over here. Knitting them together makes it a whole lot easier. And then what measures do you have in place that are human related? Can you talk a little bit about the measurement? Because that can pull you right back into kind of metrics and numbers again. How do you track whether or not you're living up to your values? Sure. I know there's a lot of debate on whether you can measure culture and just, uh, you know, transparently, I believe you can. I can only tell you we do it a couple ways. So the way we do it every year and we use uh, Hey Group as our third party partner in this, we do an associate engagement survey. Our language around that, just to put it in perspective, the day we get the scores on our associate engagement survey, we describe that as the most important day of the year, not P&L day. So again, what's the message, right? Because we see that, Tony, as the report card from our associates to us on is our leadership having the right impact on them, their engagement, their enablement, their values alignment. So we get we have that as a measure. We have taken our values and our leadership competencies and developed our own 360 based on our leadership competencies and our values. Every one of our leaders from the frontline supervisor to the C-suite gets a 360 from your boss, your peers, direct reports every year on how well you're walking in alignment with those two things. The rest of the story is that 360 and that AES make up for most of us two-thirds of our pay. The other third is financial performance, key performance indicators. So not only do we measure it, it's very much a part of our recognition and reward system. That's great. I'm sure just listening to you speak that your employees must really love working at look companies. And I also say that knowing because I've read a couple fantastic blogs that you've written about how folks working on the front line are contributing in significant ways. Can you just share a couple of lessons learned that you've written about in terms of how your frontline employees are talking, not just talking the talk of leadership, but walking the talk? And what are some of the things you heard that really made you say, gosh, you know what, this is really working. We've been able to drive this up and down the whole line. Yeah, yeah. You know, the last blog we wrote, Tony, was around retention. And we had been reading a lot about how the numbers are, the, the trend is still downward. And, you know, the question in one of the big articles that was written by one of the big multinationals was, and we can't really, we don't really understand yet why they're leaving. So we went to our Spotsylvania quarry, 22, 25 associates, about 175 years of experience 
right? Average tenure north of 10 years. And instead of wondering why they're staying, we ask them why they're leaving. We ask that bunch, why do you stay? Okay. Which was just a different way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And their answers, right? It was less about career pathing and compensation and challenging assignments, which is a lot of what is part of the plans that we're putting together to help with retention. And it was more about start with the values. They say, you know, the values here are walked and talked, or we walk them and we talk them. They start every day with a values conversation every day, right? That's a requirement to have a safety meeting. They add a values conversation to the safety meeting. And then they also have to behave in alignment with them. The new guys said the values are driving a real positive attitude around here, which made it a whole lot easier for me when I first got here. It makes it a lot easier to stay. They talk about, you know, you'll hear the word family used a lot. Some people think that's a good thing. Some people think it's a bad thing. But it feels like family, which is classic because you've got a bunch of shared values going on. So and what inspires us the most is when they start talking about the impact that it's having on their own on their home life, that they're actually bringing this stuff home with them and uh, it's having a positive impact at home. So we continue to go out. We continue to ask. And the, the messages are simple, but boy, they're elegantly simple. And it's kind of like, wow. Yeah, it's very powerful, I have to say, and you guys deserve a, a ton of credit. Congratulations. You know, the, the theme of the show here is creative leadership, and, you know, just allow me to connect the dots of why I think this story represents a great creative leadership story. My belief is that creative leadership is all about leaders creating the conditions for others to be creative. And I think what we've been talking about, what you've been sharing with us, Mark, is by having the value of creativity as one of your core values, you've elicited and encouraged all your employees all, all up and down the line to be creative thinkers and to bring ideas forward and help grow the business. And I think it's a great case study for every organization out there that's trying to figure out how to drive innovation in their organization or they're frustrated by the quality of ideas that it starts and ends with the leadership team. As you say, Mark, it's cultures in the shadow of leaders. So it's important for the senior leadership team to value creativity, be creative leaders and foster conditions for creative thinking to take place. And it sounds like you guys have been doing a great job of that. You know, we're kind of winding down on our time here, but there's an element to this story that I think we haven't really hit directly, and that is the notion of courage. I think when you pursue creativity, whether you share an idea with somebody, it takes a little bit of courage and risk-taking to do that. But I think there's a lot of courage embedded in this story. Can you share with us from your experience, like when was it really hard? When did you guys, did you ever feel doubtful that you were doing the right thing? And and if so, how did you get through that? I think the two times, at least for me personally, Tony, that I've been like, hang on, right? One is at any given time, especially that we've walked an officer out of here. Right. And it's really, you know, it's a you talk about an ethical dilemma. You know, one of our core of core beliefs is in the extraordinary potential of all human beings. Okay, And yet then you got to sit down with someone and say, hey, love you to death. You're an extraordinary person. Just not here. Okay, that's that whole concept of finding your dance floor that we talk about. You've got to be 
in a place and around the people who share in the same values and beliefs that you do, and then you can be best version of self. It takes a lot. And one of the toughest parts for us was there are times where we've separated with folks. I mean, during the darkest, darkest days of our, the financial crisis here, we had, you know, separate with a guy who was probably one of the best money makers we ever had here. And not to tell you, you go, man, is <laughs> these values better? And the only reason you're doing it is not because they don't know how to make money, right? It's they, they're missing the meaning side. They're not walking in alignment with the values. So those times can be, uh, really, really challenging. And then personally for yourself, it's never a perfect fit, right? So for me, as the recovering jerk, there's a lot of compassion and empathy and caring that goes along with a culture like this. I mean, if you study our values and you study our leadership competencies, you'll see a lot of language around an other's orientation. That was not my fastball coming here, you know, and for all of us, when we talk about, you know, going home for me, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And I could have done really, really well back in the day, uh, do this and find a way to like it. And so there's also the personal struggle that goes along with this for anybody and the courage to look yourself in the mirror and go, man, that's not what I'm signed up for here. Or the courage to hear the feedback that comes along with it because we're a feedback rich culture and you got to take it, mm -hmm. right? Because our self-reports can be a little inaccurate. So this whole program is wrapped in, in courage. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Well, I get that. I mean, it's clear to me, listen to you share the story that, you know, the hard work almost begins after you've determined what the values are because you yes, have to de demonstrate it and live them day to day. Wow. Time has flown by, Mark. <laughs> and I want to thank you for being on the show here. You know, we have a tradition called the Seven Seas Lightning Round, and we ask our guests to help us wrap up by um, just offering a short soundbite on each of the seven C's of creative leadership. So I'm just going to throw these at you, and you can just have fun and give a quick soundbite as to why these areas are important for driving um, creative leadership. In essence, they're my values around creative leadership. So you ready? I am ready. All right. Think of like uh, boxing. You know, we, this is for Rocky, who's in the corner. He's. It's a metaphor for you know an executive that's been beat up. He really wants to get out there and win. And you're going to be Burgess Meredith giving the pep talk here. Okay. All right. Sure. All right. Bonus points if you can do the accent. Okay. Yo. All right. <laughs> All right. The first one is communication. Yeah, we just always want to remember that the biggest fallacy of communication is when we think it happens right. And so the pep talk is keep going back. And just because they don't hear you or they're not getting on board, it doesn't mean you're not saying it. it just means you might want to say it a little bit differently. Curiosity. Mm, that's one of the big three for me, Tony, when I think about young leaders. And, you know, he's got that curiosity, killed the cat. Not sure where that came from. But I don't, I think in the future world of work, those of us who aren't curious I think that's going to be a very short story. And I think the big idea here is don't be afraid of what you might find, right? Be open to it. Love that. Creativity. Yeah, one of our values. So in terms of it, I think that creativity comes in so many different, you know, so many times we think we tie it to the next iPhone, right? But we try to find the simplest and the tiniest little pieces of evidence around it. 
like I said, right, someone might dress differently one day. They might go to a different. And how do you find the smallest bits of evidence and then go from there instead of looking for the big things and then do it in our own life? We are creative creatures. And I think for each of us to look in, inside of you know our own souls and look at the video of our own life, it's in there if you just open your eyes to it. And I'll just add and and not and shut down that inner judge. Yeah, inner yeah. critic we call it. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Next one is connecting. That seems to be a new word. And I would say the idea here is that we're using it a lot in the context of the digital world, the high tech world. And I think the magic here is the future is not just about high tech. It's also about high touch. Okay. And let's make sure that when we think about connecting, we're looking at it both through the lens of high tech and high touch. Great. Culture. Culture. How things get done around here. Our biggest message on this is it will happen. Okay. And left unattended to, my question would be, let me know how that works out for you. (laughs) Um, So what we say is, you know, be very purposeful and intentional about your culture Think of it as a brand, right? Have an aspiration for it, and then make sure you're doing the things that move you in the direction of that aspiration. Two more. Next one is change management. Boy, how much has been written about change management? I think we process it to death. I think the magic around change really lives on the human side. And our biggest learning here was human beings are going to go through steps of learning and as a, you know, a lot of type A leaders, it's like, well, I gave it to them. Why aren't they doing it right now? That's not the way this works. I think the best word to associate with change management is patience and then persistence. People are going to go through the cycle of change. And we all know part of that is despair. And our willingness as leaders to inspire, breathe life into people, not take it right personally, not get defensive about it. Just understand that that's part of the cycle of despair, and it is our job, right, to lead them through that part of the cycle and back up to the performance part. Don't judge them for that. Brilliant. And last but not least, courage. Courage. Talked a lot about it today. I put that with curiosity in terms of when we're looking for young leaders, courage is one of the things that we look for. You know, it's, boy, what are the great quotes, right? It's not about fear. I mean, we all have fear. It's about what you do with it. I think it's part of the keys to the kingdom. If I was to ever write a book someday, courage, confidence, self-esteem would all be part of it. So I think you've got to start with yourself, right, and really develop it in terms of how you lens yourself because I don't think you can help someone else with their own courage, unless you go there first. I also don't think you can lead without it. If you're lacking it, I think you're going to walk the earth needing from others versus being able to give to others. Uh, Boom. That was outstanding. You know, uh, Tony, when I think about how Mark dealt with the the lightning round there, I can translate it down into one to one phrase. It's treating people like human beings is is what he's really saying there, you know, and and I do appreciate the line about curiosity where you say, don't be afraid about what you might find. Right. It's like the Hitchcock quote, you know, it's not that the terror doesn't come from the bang. 
it, it, it comes from the anticipation of it, you know. And so, so, that's so, great. So you just uh, you're gonna you're gonna stumble upon things, and but that's to be expected, and you just gotta deal with that. But if you treat your people like humans and empower them to be that way, well, then boom, they can deal with virtually anything. Absolutely. I was just saying, just to build off that, I think over the last several decades, we've built this perception or this belief that everything has to be perfect, especially in a corporate, everything's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be 100% efficient. And you're right. It's just, we're humans. It's never going to be that. And, and we have to be careful in the pursuit of that, that we don't kind of drive people into insanity. Yeah. And, oh my God, and embrace the mess. You talk about creativity and innovation. You embrace the messiness. Yeah, the more amen. the more that we get okay with how messy we are, the better off. And you know, the other thing I wanted to ping off of what Todd said on you know treat people as human beings, Todd. We typically sum up in one short phrase. And what I love is it's on Tony's. You know, I think Tony's number two thing is his attachment to the word belief or believe. And we feel similarly, we're, we're what we say is at the end of the day, whether you're talking creativity, innovation, culture, climate, leadership, we say if you can start with three things, number one is loving your associates to death. And we say love, right? And for me, I didn't even learn how to say that word till about four or five years ago. <laughs> we say number two, Tony, give them something to believe in, right? Starting with themselves, but love them to death, give them something to believe in. And then wake up every day and obsess about them becoming everything they're capable of becoming. I think if that's the DNA and the soul of an organization, I really believe everything else will work itself out. Goodness. I couldn't think of a better place to end this conversation. Mark, we're out of time. Before we let you go, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about Luck Companies? Sure. So we we blog at valuesbaseleader.com. I also personally spend a lot of time on Twitter at Mark S. Fernandez. And then our company has our own website, luckcompanies.com. Come on in. You know, we love the dialogue. And every time we get in one, we get more than we give. So you're more than welcome to join us. All right. Mark Fernandez, the Chief Leadership Officer with Luck Companies. Mark, it was a real joy to have you. Thanks for stopping by and joining us. Thanks, Todd. Tony, great to be with you again. Thank you. It was great fun. All right. right. Well, that wraps this episode. On behalf of our guest, Mark Fernandez, my co-host, Tony Vengrove, I'm Todd Schnick. We'll return soon with another fascinating conversation on stories of creative leadership. So this is Todd and Tony signing off. We'll see you soon. 